Uh, good to see everybody. So welcome to RUF. I say this every week in RUF, you're never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, so this means that in RUF, uh, it's for those that love the church and for those who don't love the church and feel hurt by the church. Uh, it's for those who desire to be involved. And it's for those who feel burnt out uh, of the Christian life, who are tired. It's for those who trust God's word, who crave it, who store it up. And it's for those who are doubting God's word, doubting the truth claims of the Bible, wrestling with it. It's for those who have a relationship with Jesus. And it's for those who maybe don't consider themselves a Christian right now, who are still seeking. So wherever you find yourself tonight, we're really glad you're here. We really are. Uh, RUF is a place for you to come and hopefully encounter what Christianity is, what Christianity is all about, actually to encounter Jesus. That's why we want to be here tonight. So this semester, we've been studying the Beatitudes. Uh, and these are the very first words of probably the most well-known sermon that's ever been preached. Um, by the greatest preacher to ever live. That is the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, so these are the very first 13 verses. Uh, we have these Beatitudes, these nine Beatitudes. And what Jesus does in the sermon is he gives sort of this introduction to what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God is about, that the kingdom of God is how, uh, is what Jesus ushers in and he basically proclaims that this is the way of life. This is the way that God intends us to live. This is, this is flourishing. This is a picture of the good life. And so that brings us to the Beatitudes, where Jesus, he's basically laying out for us the character of what people in this kingdom look like. That this is actually what's true about them. In other words, when you encounter someone who walks in this kingdom, this is what you can actually expect of them. They're going to look like these Beatitudes. That as Christians, part of what it means to walk in this life is to recognize um, who we are. And so we looked at the first Beatitude, and, and that one, that's one of, um, that one of the marks of being a Christian is to be poor in spirit. That it's to recognize that there is a, never a second that goes by when we don't recognize that we're completely helpless, that we're helpless in and of ourselves, that we are like newborn baby, babies that long for their mothers to feed them, which is actually really good news when you think about it. It really is, because it means that your requirement to enter this kingdom is not to actually just have the right answers or, or to have some sort of status have some sort of uh, ability, uh, have, have thought of things or, or, or been more clever or have a life of value and importance and respect or have, have figured out all your questions that you have or have or been able to wrestle through all your doubts. No, actually, here's the requirement for God's kingdom. It's actually to humbly approach God with completely empty hands and to say that you need him, to recognize your fragility your vulnerability, your weakness, 
to actually recognize that if not for God, you wouldn't even be here in this room. It's recognizing that there is no part of you that deserves God's grace, but rather you receive it as just a glorious, magnificent treasure. That's who the kingdom is for. Now, this certainly causes us to kind of reflect on how much are, are we really poor in spirit? Are you really poor in spirit? Um, Tim Keller actually says this. He says, you know, I think if we really reflected, we would, we would see that we're really, uh, rather than being poor in spirit, we're really, a lot of us are more middle or upper class in spirit. Like we really, um, you know, maybe we say we need God, but actually, we actually really rely on many other things than God himself. You know, including our own performance, including our image, including in how we look or, or the things that we cling to. But that's actually a sign that we're really more middle, upper class in spirit rather than completely in poverty. And so the first beatitude, what it does is it calls us back towards our recognition that we can't even be, we can't even be poor in spirit on our own. Like we, we need God to humble us so that we can actually truly experience these blessings, these gifts, his love. Which brings us actually to this next beatitude. Uh, When you truly recognize your need, when you truly see how poor in spirit you are, how impoverished you are, this actually leads to to a, a certain response. And that's actually to mourn. We often don't have a category for sadness in the Christian life. You know, I think a lot of times we tell ourselves, you know, we can't even be in this room worshiping uh, without putting on a happy face, without experiencing all the times, you know, of glee and joy of being in a new life. Yes, it's happy, right? That Christians, uh, we, we tell ourselves Christians are only supposed to be happy. All the time. That if they show sadness, it actually might mean they're just not being faithful enough. You know, or they, or they must be doing something, not doing something right. Or aren't fully believing the gospel. Or if you only spent just a little longer, just a little longer every day in your quiet time, then you'd be happy. Or if only you prayed. If only you just prayed a little more. You know, it, if only you just did more. Yet, did you know that you can be a Christian and actually be sad and still be very faithful? Did you know you can be a Christian and actually be depressed? Did you know that Jesus is titled in Isaiah as a man of sorrows who is well acquainted with grief? Do you look like him? There are psalms, which psalms are the the book of the Bible. This is actually the people of God's uh, almost worship hymnal, the psalms. And there are psalms that literally say, the darkness has become my only friend. There are psalms that say that, the worship hymnal of the Bible. So we've got to actually really wrestle with these words of Jesus and, and reflect What he means, that part of the Christian character is one who mourns. 
So let me read uh, Matthew 5, 4, and then we're just going to unpack it a little bit more. This is God's word. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me pray for us. Dear God, um, there's so many things um, that we go through uh, that we're scared to go through. And we're scared to really actually think about even. And so I pray that you would just actually be with us tonight and actually lead us uh, into a place where we can actually bring our full selves because you are good and because you long uh, for us to be whole. It's in Christ's name, amen. So I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Inside Out. Y'all seen that movie? It's one of the most ingenious movies I think ever created, actually. It's a kid's movie. It's a Disney Pixar movie. Uh, Came out a while back. And the story, uh, so it takes place inside out, you know, inside out of, of this girl's, uh, this young girl's mind. So uh, all of her motion, emotions are given these characters. Uh, so they all have the cute little characters, you know, joy is a character, uh, fear, disgust, anger, and sadness. And the writer of the movie, Andrew Stanton, uh, he was actually interviewed about how he sort of developed the story. And he said the creation of the story started off being how um, fear actually needed to be dealt with in order for joy to to be experienced. And however, he, he went on writing and studying and just talking to people. And what he actually started learning and started reflecting on is that actually in order for joy to really be experienced, the girl actually had to deal with her sadness. That sadness actually ends up being the hero of the story, oddly, uh, because sadness ends up allowing the girl to connect with her experience in such a way that she was able to be comforted by her family, that it, that it, it sort of glued her family together, which is really, really deep for a kid's movie. <laughs> um, and I think if we're really honest... A lot of times we view sadness as sort of the bad character. That our sadness is definitely something we don't want to experience. It's something we we really want to avoid. And I get it because it's painful, right? We will look to avoid it at all costs. It's why we numb ourselves, right? We don't numb ourselves because there's good feelings that we have. We numb ourselves because of the bad feelings, Uh, So we numb ourselves with various things, like maybe you scroll through social media all day, just looking at something else to check out of. You know, maybe there's substances that you do, like alcohol, uh, pornography. Maybe, Maybe you've just developed a way to actually just cut off, just cut off emotion. Um, So you just don't have to experience anything. And yet what Jesus says here is that part of walking in his kingdom, which again is experiencing life of flourishing, 
is actually walking in a life of mourning. Literally, you could translate this verse happy are those who are sad. Now, why on earth is Jesus saying this? Why is this the good life of the kingdom? Why should Christians mourn? And so here's two reasons why I think Jesus says that flourishing are those who mourn. And so we're going to see that that we mourn because God shows us the truth. And also we mourn because God shows us our hope. We mourn because God shows us the truth and we mourn because God shows us our hope. So first, we mourn because God shows us the truth. Now, here's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that as Christians, we take some sort of pleasure in just living this tortured life. He's not saying that. He's like, like we have this love of pain as Christians. That we just, we crave it. We, we just want to be sad. We love mourning. That's not what he's saying. There's actually been traditions in the Christian faith that have kind of interpreted this verse uh, to mean that Christians shouldn't desire any sort of earthly pleasure at all um, or shouldn't enjoy things, like even good things that God's great because we are Christians. So he's, uh, he's not saying that. He's also not saying that as Christians, we just constantly mope around, you know, just talk about all the time about how depressed we are. That a lot of times people who do that, it, it's, it's almost kind of more of a self-absorbed way of, of living. That this morning, it's actually not a personality trait. It's not someone who looks like a constant Debbie Downer, just uh, always seeing the downside of things. No, it, just like the poor in spirit who recognize their spiritual depravity, their spiritual need, this is also mourning in a spiritual way. This is a life of spiritual mourning. This being so sensitive to how you have not measured up. That you mourn over it. That you mourn over your sin. All of your brokenness. All of what you have failed to do. All of what you have failed to not do. That you love God so much that it causes you to mourn over the ways you have broken that relationship. You know, some of y'all, y'all have already been, some of you have been through breakups. You know, I'm not, I've sat with you and heard from you over some of the ways that that was so painful. And part of the reason for you uh, that it was painful was because it's, it's a fracturing of a relationship. Someone who has actually meant something to you is breaking this connection between y'all. Or maybe you're breaking the connection between y'all. And you mourn it. This is the idea of what mourning as a Christian looks like. It's, it's being so sensitive to sin, so sensitive to just your fallenness, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And it grieves you. It grieves you because it, it's a fracturing of a relationship. So Christians, we mourn because we actually see the truth about ourselves. We actually recognize it. That God, by his word and his spirit, has actually revealed to us who we really are. That we are indeed sinners. That when you really face that, it, it's actually really hard. 
it's actually really painful. It is. It, it actually really grieves you. Not because you just hate yourself. That's not it. That, that's not it. But because you hate what it's actually done, what sin has actually done. You hate how it's actually turned you from a person uh, who you love the most, of, of your your heavenly Father. How it's how it's affected that. But also, this is important. Uh, it's important to understand that we don't only mourn the truth about our own individual sin, uh, but we also mourn the world. We mourn the ways that the brokenness of the world has impacted others. We mourn the ways that we actually have been sinned against, that we actually can name that that hurt. That is not right. It means that when you look out into the world and you see the injustice that you witness, whether it's on the news or on social media or in just even personal stories you've heard, it means that it is actually appropriate to say, no, that's not right, and grieve it. It's it's to recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, that the Bible actually gives us the truth that God didn't create the world this way. He didn't create the world as we experience it. That when you see the evils of this world and you experience evil done to you, you are able to recognize that this is wrong. This is hurtful. This is not right. And it should be mourned. We should mourn that. That part of God realigning our lives in this kingdom is actually to make you even more sensitive to the realities of sin. You don't numb it. You actually become more sensitive to it. We experience it. That we mourn over this as God's people. There was an article in the New York Times that came out about, I guess like 10 years ago. It's called uh, The Hazards of Growing Up Painlessly. And what it did was it followed this girl um, who, it starts off with this story of her cooking ramen noodles. And, you know, the ramen noodles are boiling, and her spoon falls in. And all she does was just take her hand and reach down and grab the spoon. And there was no flinching. There was no hurt. There was no screaming. And it was because this girl has a disease called congenital insensitivity to pain. Meaning she doesn't feel pain. And so what the the article interviews her parents, and they give story after story of her accidentally doing all of just these really, really harmful things, like touching a raw motor and seeing her skin just melt, or or watching uh, her um, over several weeks notice uh, she's not running really correctly, and she's been running with a broken leg for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. That her inexperience of pain, it's actually created for her many problems. And it's actually incredibly dangerous. And so here's what I wonder. Like this girl, I actually wonder how many of us sort of have this congenital insensitivity to sin. To actually brokenness. That it's often, what we do, it's often so tempting. It's so tempting to just crave just the removal of discomfort. 
when we experience lots of really painful things. When we actually do lots of really awful things. Uh, we want to numb it. We want to remove ourselves from that experience. But here, here's actually what I think Jesus might be saying here, is, is that actually the appro- one of the appropriate responses to that is to mourn. To really actually grieve it. That if we really trust that Jesus is giving us a picture of the flourishing life, then it means that sometimes we actually walk in the valley of the shadow of death. That as Christians, we actually deal with, with true things. That we actually look at it and we see it. We actually experience it. That, and that includes the truth of the re- realities of the world, that it is not the way it's supposed to be. However, don't lose sight of the rest of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, for they shall be comforted. That as Christians, we mourn because God shows us the truth. He reveals it to us about who we are, about who others are, about the way the world is. But we also mourn because Jesus actually provides us with hope. We mourn because God shows us our hope. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the child of the kingdom, he knows higher joys and deeper sorrows. He's more sensitive mourning. He's, uh, he's more sensitive at mourning and more, provo- more profound comfort. Now that he is the Lord, his emotional sensitivity becomes greater, not less. And Jesus proclaims that he has come, that we may have life and have it in abundance. What this actually means is that as followers, we experience the fullness of life, which certainly the full range of human emotions. I can tell you that as a Christian, I have actually never wept and cried harder than when I am with my Christian best friends. I've never wept and cried harder. And at the same time, I had never laughed harder. And I never laugh more than when I am with my Christian best friends. That's some of the joy of actually the Christian walk, of walking in his kingdom, is actually the freedom to not shrink back and lessen how we feel, but actually to ambush God with our full selves, to actually enter into this room with all of where you are. Why does David have the audacity to be able to say things like this? God, my tears have been my food day and night. My soul is cast down within me. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why does, he, why does he even have the audacity to do that? Because here's why. David knows that he has a God that he actually can approach with his full self. That part of why we are comforted is fully hoping in a God who actually allows us to come to him with all of our pain, with all of our sadness, with all of who we are. One of my old professors in seminary, he said this. 
If a child believes that her parents cannot handle what she actually questions or feels, she will pretend all is well, or she'll constantly tantrum about. But she will not reveal her true heart in all of its nobility and ugliness. Needy for help, longing to try, rotting with secrets. But show her a parent who has capacity for her, and she will risk. She will argue. She will ask. She will laugh. She will learn. And she will cry in the presence of their love. This is actually why Paul says we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because God doesn't just reveal the truth about our sinfulness, but he actually reveals the truth about who he is. That he actually is a God who comforts the heartbroken. He is a God who comforts sinners. He is a God who actually runs towards us in our mourning and our pain, and he holds us. That's why David can say those things. Because he knows that that is who his God is. That he can enter into his sanctuary with mourning. And he has a God who says, come. I want you here. That those words of scripture that we can actually meditate on, actual words of scripture, they give us the ability to be comforted by God who moves towards us in our whole being. Right where you're at. As I close, I I can remember... um, I can remember going through uh, counseling and sort of um, unpacking some, some pretty painful experiences in my life. Uh, my dad was a serial adulterer. He was a drug addict. Um, our family had experienced betrayal, abandonment, neglect, various levels of pain and sadness. And I can remember one of the first sessions I had with my counselor. And I'm just sort of sharing my story. You know, I I had been going through kind of the numbing part of my life. And I'm sort of just kind of looking down, just sharing unaffected by it. And I look up. And he's just staring at me. With just these giant tears in his eyes. And all he does is say, Davis, that is so sad. And I just sit there and I stare for a bit. And in that moment, I just burst into tears and just start weeping. Really for the first time from all of those really painful experiences. And and I can tell you in that moment, I don't think I've ever felt more loved and more known at the exact same time. You know, I sit with y'all and I hear, really on campus too, uh, if God is good, why did this happen? Why is this happening? If, If God loves me, why am I going through this? And first off, can I validate that? Can I say that I've asked that question? And that's a really, really good question. And it's okay to ask that. I actually have those same questions. Why, Lord? Why did this have to happen? Why is this life of pain and sorrow part of your plan? But sometimes I wonder if God actually, uh, 
wants to give us what will actually most satisfy us in this pain, in this mourning, in, the, in this grief. And here's what I don't think it is. I don't think it's actually the answer to those questions. Even though maybe he could give them to you. I think we could be given some of those answers and I don't know if they'd be satisfactory. And I think what God knows is that in that pain, what you actually need most is not the answers to your questions, but the actual presence of a father who can handle those questions. So you don't have to. Who can handle those doubts. Who actually has felt the pain that you are experiencing. That there isn't a verse that says Jesus laughed, but there is one that said Jesus wept. He wept over his friend Lazarus in John 11. Who he actually knew he would be raising from the dead moments later. And understand that Jesus weeps with you. That you can actually look up in your sadness and see your Savior like my counselor with huge tears in his eyes, staring back at you, who longs to just lovingly embrace you. And he actually doesn't say, that's so sad from a distance, but he actually knows how you feel. He actually can relate to that very feeling of grief, to that very feeling of mourning. That Jesus didn't sit idly and deal with evil of the world by just offering us a way out. Like a doctor that just prescribes you medicine. No, Jesus is like a doctor who fully endures the exact same sickness. And he actually enters into the pain of mourning of where you are at. You are not alone. And because he did that, we know that this grief, this pain, this mourning that we experience, it is not the end of the story. It's not. We have hope. You can actually freely mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They will be comforted. Jesus comforts you. Jesus mourns with you and he comforts you. And in that place, you are comforted by him right now. Maybe not fully. But one day, He will look at you with big tears in your eyes and he will wipe away every single one of those tears. Every single one. That is our hope. That is actually our comfort as Christians. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you're a God of comfort. Uh, God, forgive us for the ways that we numb, the ways that we run, the ways that we turn, um, the ways that we seek comfort um, in things that you actually don't prescribe. That you are the God of comfort. I don't know where everyone is in this room, God. But I know that people are hurting. I know that we're grieving. I know that there are people here that are mourning right now. And God, I just pray that you would move closer. That you would actually enable them to to run to you. That they would long to be in your presence. 
because you are a God who comforts those who are mourning. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen.